last week we launched this message series talking about eternity and just the way that eternity impacts our life here and now. And, and so I want to continue on with this. wanted to... I, this is obviously a big weekend in our country. There's a, there's a major transition of power. And so as I was kind of preparing this morning, I was just kind of praying through and thinking through Especially watching all the news, you know. There's depending on what channel you're watching and what you're reading on the internet. You know, our country's very divided at this point, and there's a lot of there's just a lot going on, right? We can all agree that we disagree <laughs> as a country currently. On you know, there, in the sense of there's just this disagreement. We can all agree there's a lot of disagreement going on. Something that's really helpful is the scripture. The Lord, not just something, but what is very helpful is the Scripture. The Lord just really gives us the help we need. And something that I was reviewing this morning was just in Romans. The book of Romans, and we looked at this several months ago. I think it was probably ten months ago. And it was probably during the primaries, whenever whenever that was. So however many months ago that was. We were looking at some Romans 13 and just like, what 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 are we to do? Just in relation to government, and Scripture actually tells us what to do, and we're, we're to we're to show honor, we're to pray for our leaders, and so here's another opportunity. And I don't know how you honored or prayed for President Obama. I don't know what your track record was in that, and I don't know how you're intending to honor or pray for President Trump. But God hasn't changed what He has to say about our response in these uh, times. And so, let's let's pray, and let's just pray for uh, our country, let's pray for our new leader, and let's just uh, bring him before the Lord as a congregation. So let's do that. Father, we just thank you for the work you're doing in all of our hearts and all of our lives. Thank you that you are Lord over all. You are God of the universe. You are sovereign. Your, uh, your word says that you exalt. You exalt one and you bring down another. And that you, that your word actually says that no authority exists except from those that have been instituted by you, God. And so we, we trust that you have uh, been at work. And, and Lord, as, as even through elections and all of these things, Lord, now uh, with, with a new president, Lord, you give us an opportunity to trust you once again as we follow. And uh, Father, that's going to look... And we're going to have to wrestle with how that looks on a day-to-day practical level. But Lord, I know we can honor uh, the person you've put there because of the role that you've asked them to play. So help us to be honoring with our words and with our actions, Lord. And help us to trust you, God, at points where we may disagree or where we agree. Help us to still not put our hope in a person, but help us to keep our hope in you. God, because we can trust you. And Lord, we pray for just uh, that you would uh, work through President Trump now, Lord. Give him wisdom, clarity. I pray for wisdom for the people around him, Lord. I just ask that you would use them to um, bring good and blessing and help and to meet needs and deal with crises that are going on in our country and around the world, Lord. I pray you would use um, our country, Lord, to be a light. And Lord, I pray that people would, uh, that this would be a season where people would come to know you, God, through uh, the world affairs and that people would turn to you, God, when we often look for Answers from humans, Lord, I pray that we would, we would realize that 
uh, you hold all the answers. So God, turn our hearts to you, God. We ask for your help, especially now, God, even in this room. I pray you direct us through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I encourage you to flip to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and you can pull out this listening guide. We'll have verses up here on the screen, but we, we started last week talking about how we as people will live forever somewhere. We're built to last. God created us for eternity. And, and so this life is really preparation for the next life. This is not the destination. Although there's all sorts of misconceptions about, about life. And so there's this giant chasm between the here and now and heaven or eternity. There's just this, this chasm that exists. Uh, some people live the YOLO life. I mean, here's a... We looked at this last week, but I'll reference this again. Believing the belief that life is the... Uh, this life is the destination, so you've got to get it all right now. So live it up in the moment. That's the YOLO way to live. Others believe in reincarnation, where there's kind of a cyclical life where you live, and then you'll come back in the next life as a different person. And who you will be is determined by the good and the bad that you did here. And so there's you know, a belief in reincarnation and... I'm going to show you a video trailer and see if you can spot the message that comes through about eternity. And and it's it's interesting. It's about a dog. Okay, so if you're a dog lover, you're going to enjoy this. But look at the message behind uh, this film. It's called A Dog's Purpose. Okay, I was watching this with my family, and we watched the trailer. And so let's. This was uh, we saw this trailer come up right before the movie Sing. So here here's the trailer. What is the meaning of life? Are we here for a reason? Is there a point to any of this? And why does food taste so much better in the trash? This was me, and then this was me. Then I came back as this little guy. A lot of lives for one dog to live. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start at the beginning. For me, it all began with a boy. His name was Ethan. Bailey, 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 Bailey. My name was Bailey, 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 Bailey. No! Whenever life got Ethan down, I knew exactly what to do. Ready? I'm ready. Go, Bailey! We played with that ball all afternoon. Ethan loved it. As the years went by, I could tell my time with Ethan was coming to an end. Good boy, Bailey. I miss you. And then it happened. I was back. Good girl. Good girl. I had a new purpose. I was needed again. And again. And again. Hi, you. With each new life, I was learning a new lesson. <laughs> hmm. Have we met before? Where did you find that? Okay. Ready? Go. I tried to make sense out of all the things I'd seen. Was there a point to this journey of mine? And how did bacon fit in? If I can get you licking and loving, I have my purpose. Even why do you always have this dog with you? It's like a girlfriend replacement or something? <laughs> the dog's laughing at you. Dogs don't laugh. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Now, that's really, that's like, that's, 
That's crafty of them. It's like trying to give your kid medicine with, that tastes really good, right? It's like, here, it's sweet. You know, it's like, and then they get this. They get this medicine. Don't mess with dogs in that way. And I mean, who, who, is there any dog lovers? Okay, I'll, I'll actually put my hand up now because I didn't used to call myself that, but I actually love my dog now. And uh, it's not because I didn't, it's just because I got a dog. That's why I love my dog now. But uh, probably five years ago, I got a dog, and, and I never would have been the dog person. But one thing I know is you don't mess with people's pets. You don't make fun of people's pets. You don't, because until you get one, you just don't understand, right? It's, so now that I have one, I understand. But, oh, man, when I was watching that trailer, I was like, oh, oh, and then I, it hit me, the message, and I'm like, what? I look at my wife, and we're both looking at each other, and we're like, really? <laughs> so we debriefed it with our kids. We spoil a lot of movies because we debrief them, you know? <laughs> so what do you think that was about, guys? And then, and, you know, one of my kids said, reincarnation. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much a subtle way to disguise a popular view of what happens after you die. And it's a very popular view in Hollywood, especially. And so you see actors you like, you see dogs that you love, and you're like, yeah, it must be like that. You just, yeah, that's it. And I watched a bunch of reviews of that film coming out, and it was really interesting to watch people process and be like, it's so sweet, and they're talking about it back and forth, and they creep up to the line of these eternal issues, and they're like, yeah, and, ah, and they don't know where to go, because they realize where that is taking them. What's the message behind this movie? It's going to be interesting to see. I'll probably watch it because I want to see what they have to say and I want to see the message behind it fully. But that's another belief. So you have YOLO, you have reincarnation. And you might be thinking, hey, it's dogs. You're taking this way too seriously. And I know some of you are thinking, you're taking this way too seriously. But, but we actually need to screen the thoughts that come into our mind. And, and it, things are disguised very, uh, in very crafty ways. There's another belief, which is that I don't care. It's not necessarily YOLO. YOLO is like, you know, or it's not, it's, it's more like, I haven't really thought about it. I haven't really thought about what happens next. Maybe it's reincarnation. Maybe it's heaven or hell. Maybe it's, maybe there's nothing at all. And so it is just YOLO. But I, I haven't really thought about it. So maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're here today because you just, thought, I, I haven't really thought about it. I'm curious. I'm, I'm processing right now. Now, what if we lived, and this is the premise, what if we lived of this series with an accurate view of heaven based on what God has revealed to us in the Bible? What if we actually took His Word seriously and, and oriented our lives around what He actually has said? How would that change your life here and now if you confidently believed in life after death in heaven? Uh, this perfect place or in, in hell? Separated from God. What if you, what if you actually believed that? How would that influence you? God wants us to actually experience a life that was, that's really built to last because He's made us as eternal beings. Scripture states this, that God's hardwired us with a desire for eternity. Look at this passage, Ecclesiastes 3, verses 11 and 12. This is, this is a passage of Scripture where the, these verses I've got listed here come right after where the, the author of Ecclesiastes is saying, there's a time for everything, there's a season, there's a, there's a time for everything under heaven. You know, there's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, time to pluck up, time to kill, time to heal. So there's, there's references to war, to sickness, to breaking down, time to build up, time to weep, time to laugh, time to mourn, 
Time to dance. Time to cast away stones. Time to gather stones together. These are all the verses. A time to embrace. A time to refrain. A time to seek. A time to lose. A time to keep. There's a time to cast away. A time to tear. A time to sow. A time to keep silence. A time to speak. A time to love. A time to hate. A time for war. A time for peace. There's these, there's these seasons that come in our lives. And people have written a song, right? About that. We had a, we had a big trivia question last, and everyone, I think is the, is it the birds? They wrote the song? Okay, I'm getting, I'm getting the nod. Everybody was convinced last service it was the Beatles, but I think it's the birds. I think we, we've confirmed. We're confirming. I see a lot of nodding. The birds wrote about this. There's a time. Well, the next verse is this, okay? He has made, meaning God, has made everything beautiful in its time. So this verse reminds us that there's a purpose, there's a plan for all things. He has set the time for all Things. God is sovereign. He's in control. He's in charge. Nothing is just accidentally happening in life. Like God fell asleep and He wakes up. Oh my gosh, look at what just happened. No, He's actually very much involved, superseding. He's, he's working. He, he allows us to be a part and join in. And our involvement, again, is not catching Him off guard. He's still sovereign and we, we somehow operate with a will and we're, He somehow brings this together. Now, there's parts that I don't understand of, of how God's sovereignty and my will link up, but, but they really do. And in eternity, things will become clearer that are cloudy for us about that area. But look at what he continues to say. The writer says, also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Meaning he's put the desire for eternity into your heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to end. We are stuck somewhere in the middle. We're we're living our life and we're stuck in the middle of time. We're suspended, you know, here in time and we can't fully understand the whole scope of what God is doing from beginning to end. We don't understand why all the events in the beginning of our life and the end of our... Why we go through it all or even just in the history of the world. God, we don't understand why, you know... But he's put this desire for eternity inside of us. And we don't see all the connections to the affairs of here and now and eternity, but they connect. So what the writer of Ecclesiastes is pointing out. Look at verse 12. He makes this conclusion, I perceived that there is nothing better for them, meaning people, because he's, he's observing people, and the way they do life. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. We're eternal beings. Even though we don't see all the connections between here and there, eternity, there's a way to live and even relate differently because of eternity. And that's what this series is about. How do we live differently in light of eternity? Now the truth is this, that relationships have tremendous value since people last forever. This is kind of the, the main idea we're working off of today. Relationships. Your relationships... The person next to you matters to God. The people in your family, they matter to God. People across the aisle from you matter to God. The people across the country, across the world, they matter to God because they last forever. And this influences why we would be involved with people in Papua New Guinea, in Germany, Guatemala, things we're doing right now with our Christmas offering, in, our, in, our, in Southern California, in our town, you know, in this little neighborhood right here, this influences, this, this idea influences why we do outreach, why we give, why we love, why we, re, you know, reach out to others. 
And one of the major areas where eternal thinking makes a difference is, is relationships. You know, when our relationships are going well, there's just, our life is good. Think about your life. If, if your relationships are in harmony, life is probably pretty good. If your relationships are, are unified, if there's harmony with others, your job could be crummy. You could be in deep debt. You could be, uh, dealing with an injury, a sickness, but if your relationships are good, you can be like, well, at least my relationships are good. You can, you can actually experience some enjoyment in life if you have good relationships. But if this is, if relationship gets, gets tweaked and bitterness forms, doesn't matter how much money is in the bank. doesn't matter, you know, these other things, just you realize, wow, these things are less important than relationships. They, they really, really matter. Now, we, we get really used to the idea that we, we, we live private lives. Like we can, you drive down the street, let's say you're a homeowner, you, you get your house, you open your garage door, you go in your garage, you shut the door, or you just, let's say, you don't park in the garage because, like me, your garage is a little chaotic, and so you park in the driveway, you know, you see your neighbors, and then you walk in, you shut the door, you're in your private space. And, and you can kind of have separation between your neighbors and other people. And, but what, what if we realize that people are, like, people last forever. Like, we're gonna live with people relationally for a long time, through all eternity. There, there is this eternal dimension of, and quality of our relationships that, that we need to keep in mind. Um, that's why we work on relationships. It's so, so difficult. It's very, very common for us to fumble through relationships. We have expectations on others. If you're, if you're married or if you're, if you're in relationships, you're dating, think about your friends, you have expectations you place on people and things you'd like them to live up to. They have the same expectations on you. And when our expectations are not met or, or they go unfulfilled, we get frustrated, disappointed, and we can't quite put our finger on the emotions that come, but we know things should be better. We want things to be better. And the pressure relationally often makes us want to just give in to despair, change the scenery, find new friends, do something drastic. Because when our relationships are off kilter, it just, it, it, things unravel. So this factor of eternity, you know, this just, the, it keeps drawing us towards working on our relationships. Because there's something that we realize when we see people and we, we connect the dots that Scripture's pointing that people will last forever. Relationships just, over time, they erode. And here's, here's something that, that I want us to consider. Is our relationships erode when we suffer from eternity amnesia. When we forget about the eternal dimension and just live for the here and now, then we end up giving into the YOLO life, because we only get interested in what we can get out of people here and now. We think they exist for us. We can devalue people. We can use people if we, if we suffer from eternity amnesia. Eternity amnesia is when we just forget about heaven. And, and we think, ah, oh, this isn't, this isn't gonna matter. They're just people. It's not gonna matter. I'll never see them again. Have you ever had that thought? I'll never see them again so I can tell them off. Some of you, you know, you're in customer service. 
And you that person just treated me so poorly right now. They so it's like they they think I'm nobody. What what gives them the right to, to talk to me like that, to treat me like that? But we can somehow we can devalue people to the point to where we think, oh they're just they're just here to serve me. They're just objects. This this has all sorts of implications when we relate to people when someone's serving us. Food, groceries. These are people. Or, you know, if, if the struggle in your life is, is lust, pornography, this idea of devaluing women when men degrade and devalue women by objectifying, if we do that, what we're really saying is people, they're just throwaways. They, they don't really, doesn't really matter. They're here for me for now. Doesn't really matter. And so we separate. I can look at this, or I can talk to them in this way, because I'll never see them again. Now think about that in, ter- in light of eternity. What if you will see them for all eternity? What if they're your neighbor in eternity? That changes things, I think. It gets us to think about, in eternity, it's like all these comfy lives where we have walls and closed houses. What if, in eternity, we realize you know the walls have all been knocked down, all the separation that existed... It's like you have an argument in your home and you forgot to close the windows. And you walk out and everyone's in their yards and they're clipping flowers and and they look at you because they realize they've just heard your whole argument. If if, if we... But we think we can just shut our lives off and, and separate the public and the private. Well, in heaven, you know, those separations that exist that we have control over, that's not going to be the case there. And so... We have to remember this whole issue of people, the value of people. We're going to, Christians, we will be, if you're a Christ follower, you'll be spending eternity together. This life is a dress rehearsal for eternity. It really matters. Look at this scene from heaven given to the Apostle John. John gets this vision. He sees this great multitude. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before Jesus and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We'll spend eternity with other Christ followers worshiping God Almighty. So, This has implications towards the way that I invest my life. The way that I invest my time, my money, the way I relate to people, the way I spend my energy. My whole life, I have to keep, and you have to keep, this destination. That's the destination mentality we have to keep in mind. Not this life. This is the preparation for that destination. Especially as I relate to those who are not yet Christians. For those who are not yet Christians, how we treat and how we relate to them really makes a difference. It, it, you can impact people in their processing of coming to know Jesus Christ. Whenever a person comes to know Jesus Christ, we don't see all the movements of God's activity in their lives. We don't see it. God is drawing people to know Him. R.C. Sproul, he's a pastor, an author, a theologian. He talks about, he calls this God's invisible hand. That God's invisible hand is what He is doing that we don't see in history and in people's lives. But He's directing things. He's, he's, he's positioning people and things to make a difference for all eternity. This is God's invisible hand. 
He is sovereign. Many times we just see, oh, a person came to Christ. We don't think, God did that. God is working. But you know what? You and I, as people come to Christ, God can use us to make a difference in their lives. We can be part of God's invisible hand as He's moving and positioning us to move and move in right here. These are going to be your neighbors. This workspace, these are the people I've placed around you. That God is moving and we join Him and partner with Him in reaching people who can be impacted for all eternity. And so as Christ followers treat others who are far from God as people who are valued by God, not throwaways, but valuable, it really matters in their lives and in their processing. A lot of people would say, I'm not going to become a Christian because I know too many Christians. And they're, they're hurtful, they're judgmental, they're, and I'm better off just doing life my own way. And so what if we lived with eternity in mind and let that impact the way we treat Christ followers and those who are, who are not Christ followers and just really realized God values all these people. They're all eternal. They're going to spend, you know, they're going to spend eternity in some place. I can, I can be a part of, I can make a difference. Relationships erode, though. Erode through this, just forgetting about eternity. Another thing is, relationships erode when we place unrealistic expectations on other people. Whether in family life, whether in marriage or friendship, we can suck the life out of people by demanding and putting all sorts of pressure on others. We can get into selfishness, we can get into pride, we can try to use people to meet our needs and constantly just be left disappointed and frustrated. And and if we think this is all that life has to offer, then we really don't trust God. And we doubt this verse. Look look at this verse again. Ecclesiastes 3.11 If we think this is all there is, we, we doubt this is true. That God will make everything beautiful in its time. Because we want it in our time. We want everything beautiful in our time. We want everything peaceful and easy and good in our time. God's saying, look, everything... He sets the timing of when things are made beautiful and made right. But we, we naturally put... We want to put expectations on others. We feel empty. So we, we look to other people in our life to fill us up. To fill our tanks, we like to say. Relationships will not last if you have two people both looking to get value from the other person. Trying to, to suck the value out of each other. That kind of relationship will erode. Whenever we look to God for our significance, we can trust this. We can trust that He will do right by us and He will make everything beautiful in His time. It's just not, it's not time yet, God's saying. It's not time for you to experience all that yet. This is, this is not heaven on earth. There is, there's still, heaven is, is, is to come. And so if we look to God for our significance, then we can, we can be satisfied here and now. But the Bible actually helps us unwind these messes that we often find ourselves in relationally. That's, that's what I think most of us want. Look at Ecclesiastes 3.12. Again, his observation, there's nothing better for them, meaning for people, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. I think most of us would agree that we want an atmosphere relationally that's truly enjoyable. We want to enjoy our friendships, our relationships. There's a verse in Psalms that describes this this way. or Psalms 133.1 Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. I mean, isn't this true? Think about this. Do you have a sibling? Do you have a brother? Think about how hard it is when you don't get along. But then when you do get along, isn't that nice? 
a sibling, a friend. It's just nice when you get along. It's nice for your parents when you get along. When siblings get along. But this idea in some of these verses, they describe the atmosphere of relationships. An atmosphere in relationships comes out in the mood, it comes out in the environment, the experience that we we have when we just interact with, with other people. We enter into relational atmospheres every single day. Have you ever entered into a room where people have just been in an argument? And they're having an argument. <laughs> maybe it's your parents, maybe it's some friends. You come in and the argument is going and they pause because you're there. And you just can feel the tension. It's like, it's, it's tense. No one's talking and you just try to back out of the room and disappear and pretend like no one saw you. And they pretend like they didn't see you either. Have you ever experienced someone sighing at something you've done? You knew you did something wrong, but you're not sure what it exactly was. They sigh. <sighs> the, the atmosphere, it's uptight, it's tense, it's you realize something's wrong in the atmosphere. Or there's a, just an icy look, and you know, I want to back out of this moment. That's the atmosphere. What, what about coming home late? And you're expecting a sigh, a look. And, and you see your loved one, and they smile at you. And you're like, maybe they didn't look at the clock. You know, or, or maybe, maybe... You know, and they smile at you and it seems genuine. You're like, ah. Oh. You thought you were in, in trouble and you're in, you're in, you're in good standing. The atmosphere. That's, those are all descriptions of just the atmosphere. The Bible actually shows us how, how you have that kind of atmosphere. The enjoyable, unified atmosphere. Here's some things. You create that kind of atmosphere by doing loving things, by saying loving things, and by choosing a loving attitude. The idea is an atmosphere of love. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, verses 7 and 8. It's up here. This is a very familiar, the end of a very familiar passage that's often used at marriages. When I perform weddings, I, I use this often. But it's more than just a marriage passage. You know, love is patient, it's kind, it's, you know, doesn't hold grudges. It's, you know, it's a description of love. At the end of the description, Paul writes this. And this is not, he didn't write this to give preachers content for doing marriages. This was to the church in Corinth who were needing to know how to do right relationships. He says, love bears all things. This kind of sacrificial love where I put the other person's interest ahead of my own because it's the right thing to do. It's what they need at the moment. It's not how I feel, but it's what they need at the moment. Paul writes, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never ends. You know, love bears and endures. This, this is a picture of God's love. He bears with us. God's love makes relationships enjoyable over the long haul. Because He loves us. He bears with us. We don't bail on people because God hasn't bailed on us. If you think, man, I'm just... I can't bear with Him anymore. I can't deal with you anymore. I can't deal with this little one anymore. Well, God bears with us. Thank God He doesn't say, Josh... That's it. I can't bear with you anymore. Boom! It just punts me. <laughs> or any of us. I'm done with you. God's not like that. God doesn't fall in and out of love with us. God is love. Doesn't mean that... Doesn't mean that He's not unhappy. But God, in His character, He's described as, in First John, God is love. God doesn't look at us with the romantic 
in the romantic way that, that we tend to treat relationships where we fall in to love with people and fall out of love based on how we feel. He doesn't do that. If he did that, then it would be like he would just boot us when we decide to do our own thing. But God, he bears with us. Also, it says love believes all things. It hopes all things. Meaning, since people are made in God's image, then we see and treat people in a way that reflects that. Believing and hoping in all things mean, means we think the best of people and we hope the best for people's well-being. We act with goodwill. We don't act with resentment. When others rejoice, we rejoice with them. When others are going through a hard time in life, we come alongside them. We reach out to them. We believe. We hope. We don't give up hoping. We keep... We, you know, there's long-suffering. Why? Well, it's because God does that with us. He's hopeful. Love never ends. Again, God's love is eternal. We continue to love other people in our life because, you know, as long as we have breath, we can just keep loving people. Just keep loving people. Another way we can experience the good and pleasant atmosphere in a relationship is to say loving things. Not just do loving things, but then to say it. Our words matter. We know this. We've all been on the receiving end of hurtful, nasty words, haven't we? We've also said some things that we wish, oh, I wish I could take that back right now. I said that and I, dang it, I gotta go get that now. I gotta go clear that up, I gotta take that back, I just gotta own that. Because I did that. I hurt them. You know, we can't talk about love and relationships and not mention the power of words. Look at this proverb, Proverbs twelve eighteen. Reckless words pierce like a sword. Picture that. Our reckless words pierce like a sword, like a sword thrust. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. There's just such a contrast here, isn't there? My words can either wound and damage or my words can bless and build and encourage. How how do you know if your words are reckless? Well, if you said something to someone without thinking, it was probably reckless. I just felt like saying it. I was probably reckless then. (laughs) It just came to my mind. Well, it's probably reckless. You know, if you've gossiped about someone, that, that was reckless. If your words were to put someone down, that was probably reckless. Thankfully, God, He's gracious, He's kind with us, and as we soak up His Word and ask Him for help in the moment, then God gives us the power to delete the reckless words. And to, right before, right, it's on the tip of our tongue, it's like, it comes into our mind, ooh, I got a good one, I'm going to share it, and then it's like He just says, stop, delete. Keep that to myself. I'm not going to say that. He also gives us the ability to add something like, ooh, I'm going to sting right here and then, no, nah, how can I help? How can I build? That, that comes from God. But we got to do the math. we got to figure out what to delete, what to add. And we say the things that build up or we hold our tongue on saying what, what is going to tear down. And we need God's help for that constantly. It's easy to just lash back at someone who's hurt you, but we need God's help to, to stay constructive, to be encouraging. It's difficult to build others up with words when we don't feel like they're doing the same to us. This is when we need God's help in the moment. If you're a parent, it's easier to try to prod like cattle your children. Like it's easier to just prod and try to control your kids with sharp commands and turning up the volume than it is to really bring their heart along and try to train them patiently and build them up with encouraging words. Much, much easier to just prod, right? But God gives us the power that we need to say loving things in the moment. 
and help us and correct us when we cross that line. Finally, an enjoyable atmosphere comes as we choose a loving attitude. Now this is a very strange couple of verses I'm going to reference here. When Jesus lived on earth, he continually challenged people's views on what it truly meant to love God and others. On one occasion, he connects our actions to our attitude. And we tend to think, as long as I don't hurt anyone, then it's okay. God actually knows what we think. He knows our attitude. And we're accountable on these things. So check out how Jesus challenged our concept of loving others, even with our attitude. Matthew 5.21 and 22, it reads, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. Jesus referencing Ten Commandments. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Have you ever said that? Have you ever said, you idiot, you fool, that guy's a fool. That, that person, he, you know, think of how easy it is to, to, to damage with our words or to label with our words, to devalue with our words. Jesus is helping us see that our attitude towards someone ultimately impacts the way we're going to treat them. And so, attitude impacts action. So if I look down on someone, I've sinned before God. And when I insult someone, inwardly or outwardly, now I'm devaluing them. Now the truth is, there, no, no one is worthless. There is no one who is worthless. Every person has value. Because God created them and gave them value. He put breath in them. He's made them in His image. So people are just, they're not throwaways. So to treat people as worthless, Jesus is saying, that's a serious matter. He says, you're liable to the hell of fire if you choose to look down on people and cheapen them in this way. Now, what this should do is it should serve as a wake-up statement about the seriousness of our words. Now, the reality is, we are liable, you and I, we are liable to hell for all kinds of sins, not just our words. We're liable to hell, to the hell of fire for all kinds of things we've done. Not just the, the attitudes or the actions of the word, just all kinds. But God's only offer of escape is to confess and turn from our sin and begin following Jesus. And when we do, we're forgiven and we're no longer liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is using this in a very pointed message that He's giving to a bunch of people sorting out following Him or not. And the way, that, the way of life they're going to live. But this verse, what it does, it's extreme, but it just shows how priceless people are to God because He values them. And we should with what we say, with what we think, with how we interact, we should just keep placing a high value on people and on relationships. These verses that, that right here, the next verses that follow are tied to a commitment we make to one another in our church. A commitment we have here at Orange Crest Community Church is to clear things up with each other when we mess up. So the very next verse is part of our heart attitude, clear up relationships. Look at verse 23. In light of those previous verses, it says, Therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Basically, we're not perfect people. We're going to mess up. And when we mess up, God says clear it up. Clear up the relationships by admitting our wrong and asking forgiveness. And, and when we do that, it just builds a healthy 
foundation. And it builds the right atmosphere relationally. Building that kind of relational atmosphere in friendships, in church life, in family life, it is not easy, but it's, it's possible with God's help. And as I wrap up, I just want you to consider this question right here. What is the atmosphere of my relationships? Think about your roommates. Think about the people you live in an apartment with, a dorm with, a, a house with. And, you know, Think about your relationships at work amongst your friends in church life, in your small group, with those you serve with, what is the atmosphere? Is there erosion? Is there frustration? Is there bitterness? Is there manipulation? Do you look at your relationships and realize, man, I just need God's help. If you've never committed your life to Christ, then the way that you get God's help is to ask God to lead your life. Jesus, you say, Jesus, will you be the boss of my life? I'm going to abandon my way of doing life. I'm going to abandon being my own master and calling the shots. And I'm going to stop going my way and I'm going to start going your way. Would you come into my life? Would you change me? Would you help me to repent of, of these old ways and start going your way? Would you lead my life? I need you. If you're at a point where you've never done that, let us know. We would love to help you cross that line of faith. On the back of your connection card, you can request information about how to become a Christ follower, you can just request. I'd like to learn more about how to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. I encourage you to think through that. But for everyone here, think through your relationships and the atmosphere of your relationships with people that we're going to be spending eternity with. Just how, And for those that have not yet tasted the new life, but maybe God's placed you right beside them to help them come to know Him. Let's pray. I want to I wrap up with with praying together. Father, thank You for this time and for Your Word. Help us, God, as we navigate the difficult area of relationships. It's, it's something that matters so much to You. Help us to place a much higher value, Lord, as, as a group of people. Help us to be more exact in the way we live. We know that we cannot arrive at perfection on this side of heaven, but Lord, would you continue to convict us and show us the things that you want us to tweak and, and, and line up with your way of doing life. We need your help and your power to do this, so we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.